Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. Episode 136, as always, I'm joined by Jordan. Hola muchacho. Hola muchachos. Uh, no Dom this week, but we do have a special guest, Chris Noons. Hey, how are you? Good. Uh, he's been on the show before, so he knows how the whole rigmarole goes. Um, glad to have you on. Um, you have a new project upcoming. Do you want to talk about that at all before we get started, or...? Not yet. Yeah, Not we're yet. still holding off. Yeah, we're going to be doing some stuff uh, in the upcoming weeks, uh, but uh, there'll be there'll be more information soon. Cool. So follow him at his Twitter, which is Topher Noons, which is T-O-P-H-E-R-N-U-N-E-S, and uh, see what future projects he has coming along. Interesting stuff. I wasn't yes. sure if you wanted to talk about it yet, so sorry for putting you out on the line there. No, no sure. worries. No, no worries. We're all good. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of a tease. In terms of what we've been playing... Um, my main priority is getting Kingdom Hearts 3 completed before Sekiro comes out. Um, I did not play any Kingdom Hearts 3 Sekiro. this week. So Sekiro. there in lies a problem. Um, I'm going to try to tackle it this coming week. I just, I just didn't feel like playing it this week, man. Jared, we had discussions Jared, about Kingdom Hearts 3, Chris. and Don't uh, feel bad. I'll go ahead and tell you what I played this week. It's <laughs> Zip. Zilch. Yeah. Nada. So nada, don't, huh? don't feel bad. He's he's our resident Kingdom Hearts guy, Chris, and he hasn't brought himself to finish the game yet. Not in a, like a I, oh I can't wait to see what happens. It's like a <sighs> you know yeah, yeah yeah no I finished up Kingdom Hearts a couple weeks back and it was just like it was like I thought I felt like I was on an island saying that it was a letdown for me because I I play King, I'm, I love Kingdom Hearts like it, it's uh, I think there are a lot of people that are being let down by it. I don't, I don't think you're quite... A, it might be a bigger island than you realize. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, just the end the the end of it to me was just like a bunch of rigmarole. Like, it was just a really... It felt just like one thing after another that was just prolonging the end of the story for, for the sake of prolonging it. That, that Man. I, they did an interview with Nomura, and I haven't finished the game, and I've avoided spoilers, but he said, in regards to something at the end of the game, but that people were like, you didn't finish this part of the storyline. In response to that, he said, "Yeah, we're, we'll figure that out," <laughs> which means like they weren't Jesus. even worried about like tying up the loose ends. I it's told Jared else. like I I I'm okay with where we're at in the series, but I am okay also if uh, someone else takes over the series from Nomura moving forward. You know, some yeah, young gun. They need to turn. They need to turn it over a little bit faster. That, I mean, obviously. Oh, for but sure. I mean, yeah. But I mean, but, but I mean, Kingdom Hearts Four needs to be faster. here in less than five years. Yeah, that's a Square Enix problem, though. I mean, Final Fantasy needs to get yeah. turned faster. You know, like, but yeah, it's so weird. They, the fact that they finally released Final Fantasy Fifteen to middling reviews. I know some people liked it. But it was it's like a whatever. Square Enix Japan thing because their yes. Western studios don't. True, have that true. That's a good distinction to make. Um, anyway, so that I haven't art, done the, the article that they had though that was pretty interesting about the Star Wars thing about the reason why it wasn't in it is just because of contractual stuff. Like it was really boring. But it's like, yeah. okay, well, there's there's other games coming out, so they we we couldn't put Star Wars in there. It's like, oh, yeah. really? I mean, that's I just, it seems kind of mundane. I don't know. It's mm. I mean, I think they really just wanted to, outside of not getting those contracts, and I do think it was like we have Pixar now. You know, this is the first Kingdom sure. Hearts game yeah. that's going to have sure. maybe not yeah. first. Am I correct on that, Jordan? Even still. Uh, no, I'm pretty... Yeah, I think Pixar's been missing, um... Because it wasn't 1 and 2, obviously, but I don't know if it was in any of the spinoffs. No, yeah, I think this is, uh, the debut for Pixar, but even still, 
Um, and not just Pixar, but we've got you know Frozen and Big Hero Six. I was disappointed with the worlds overall. There was cool stuff, um, but personally, I thought it was a bad idea to focus on fewer, larger worlds because just because they were larger didn't mean that they actually were uh, <laughs> more interesting or you know well filled with uh, properly um, intriguing things to do. They yeah. felt empty. They felt empty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was the wrong direction to go in. I would have liked more smaller worlds, you know. I mean, I'm only up to the Tangled World, so I'm I'm not I think I'm like almost halfway. I like the Toy Story world, but I mean, you can kind of you can your brain can process that oh, it's empty because you're small toys and everything seems bigger. You know what I mean? You can kind of play with your mind on that, but it is yeah. they're like let's make our worlds bigger but not add anything really. Like even Olympus yeah. is like there's not a whole lot going on here. You know what I mean? At the beginning of the game. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, we talked about how Olympus, you go to fucking Olympus in every goddamn Kingdom Hearts game, even every single spinoff, and you do yep. the Colosseum. And, you know, it's like yep. that. And, Chris, I was talking to Jerry about how uh, other than Winnie the Pooh, which is really not even like a full-on world, uh, Toy Story and Hercules are the oldest Disney properties. Yeah, and the, part, the weird part about the Winnie that the, shit insane, <laughs> and the Winnie the Pooh part you don't even have to do, like you could yeah. literally just skip it. Like I literally, yeah, I, main, I mainlined worlds. it. Yeah, I mainlined that and didn't even bother going to Winnie the Pooh. I actually went afterwards and and was playing catch right. up on a lot of the other stuff. So, right, yeah, yeah. It's like there just should there should be more classic Disney. There should there's you can tell like when you spend this long on anything, um, you know, a piece of created entertainment like this. You're gonna lose things in the, you know, in the process. Like you're just gonna f not realize, like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be banking so much on this, or like, hey, should we, uh, you know, give Div Disney some props from before the year 1990? Like they have this entire catalog to go through. It's like they just they miss out on some things because you they just probably had so many things in this game that either came and went or became a lot bigger than they originally thought and um it's not there's i don't think that there has ever been a situation where we look at a released game and go oh thank god that they spent eight ten years on that you know thank god that they had all this extra time more than five years to work on this there is rarely a situation where such a long dev cycle is actually beneficial, and I think that this continues that uh, same situation. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but go ahead. What I was going to say is, when you look at games that have come out in the last five years that have reviewed, and the main criticism is this game feels old. All of them, but like Crackdown Three, are Square Enix games. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's because they have had such <laughs> well, long development yeah. cycles. Because it's, Last I mean, it's, there's not a whole lot of them, but it's Kingdom Hearts Three, it's Last Guardian. Um, Maybe I'm missing a couple, but I would Last say Guardians, those those three are probably the big three that people point to and say these games feel old, right? Last Guardian, Kingdom Hearts 3, and Crackdown 3. And Crackdown 3, I guess, might be a worst-case scenario because it's a game that's been in production for a long time, but not as long as those other two. It's just yeah. a lot of my problems with Kingdom Hearts 3 are that it feels like an old game. And, like, nostalgia makes it feel as if, oh, this is fun, this is cool. But the mature game player in me is like, this is old. It doesn't feel good, you know? So Yeah. It, I it was upset like when Scalebound got canceled, what, two years ago? 
But now that it's possibly being resurrected by Nintendo, I'm like, dude, this is it's dead. Like, there's no way that game's not gonna feel old. You know, you can't take the skeleton of an old game that you almost finished and just turn it into something completely fresh and new because games are constantly changing at such a fast pace that you have to build it from the ground up in the modern time because that's the only way it's going to feel relevant and up to date. Yeah. And to, to, your, to your point, it feels like they spent a ton of time on the beginning and they felt, spent a shitload of time on the last eight hours and then they yeah. just filled in the middle it's like they, <laughs> yeah and that's the same way with crackdown crackdown same thing a ton of time in the beginning because they have all that terry cruz stuff a ton of time at the end and not a lot in the middle so I, it, you yeah. have to fill out a game it can't be just bad it can't be bookended yeah i do think crackdown also suffered from microsoft wanting that to become a true triple a ip and then them seeing the you know the the sunk cost and just being like just ship this game out it's whatever it is you know because, like, even yeah. Crackdown 1 and 2, I know people love Crackdown. People are mixed on Crackdown 2, but I would never say those are, like, AAA <laughs> games. You know what I mean? Even their gameplays. It's well, a, and a... during the dev cycle, think about not just the changes to the industry and games uh, in general, but Microsoft is a totally different company. Xbox is a totally different deal sure. than when they first revealed Crackdown 3. It's like, these things are changing out from under you, and... There's no way that you're going to be able to keep up with the tide. You're just going to... Like I said, there's just really never been an example. It's like, oh, well, they really... Even though it started 10 years ago, um, they really made it feel like it was just start... You know, they just started making it yesterday. It just... You can't do that. It's it's too difficult. Yeah. Plus, it's hard to play on... It's hard to play on nostalgia, too. I mean, it's one thing to have an 8-bit game or a 16-bit game, which is, like, you know, refreshed for a new generation. But when you're basically taking the same game and just trying to update it enough to get it into the new generation, it, it plays right. off as old. It plays off as old. Like, even Kingdom Hearts, it plays off as old because it it's 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 not much different than right. one or two. Well, and, right. I mean, even when you see it next to, like, the Crash Bandic- uh, Bandicoot remasters, which are pretty much the same gameplay. Obviously, they change a little bit with the hitboxes, but that's a major nostalgia play because they fully upgraded the graphics. And even with Kingdom Hearts 3, I don't think it looks... I mean, it looks okay. I'm not saying it looks terrible, but it doesn't look great. I would say it looks great, you know? So I would say it looks great. I would say parts of it look great. Yeah, there's certainly parts of it that... Here's the thing. There's parts of it that look better than 95% of the games on the market. Some of, like, the... The shots of gigantic, gorgeous cities that you're looking at and stuff like that. I mean, there's some of that like special Square Enix uh, Japanese uh, beauty to it. Um, and then there's other times where, yeah, it looks muddy. And then there's other times where it's like the way that these anime characters are in like ultra, you know, like 4K HD. It's like these when these characters were originally designed they were really designed in kind of a 2d style and you can really see the bumps along the way of the transition in between 2d and 3d uh when you look at uh specifically like the some of the organization 13 members sure Um, sure. so there's you know a lot of a lot of bumps along the transition one of the biggest things you can take away from Q1 is the fact that none of these games that were supposed to be super fantastic have a big tail. I mean, Anthem doesn't have a tail. Metro doesn't have a tail. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts doesn't have a tail. None of these games are going to be talked about at the end of the year. 
nobody because they're just kind of uh, they're out there but that's it they're just out there. i think i think the game with the strongest case is probably re2 but even then there's argument of like what's well, technically a, a remade game there's a lot different about it from the original re2 but it's like no original game you know what i mean is really it's funny because with the, the looming release of devil may cry 5 well, i guess it released the day of recording this um capcom is like the best publisher this year so far they nailed mm-hmm. re2 and they nailed devil may cry 5 uh, those games are reviewing and have reviewed very well, um, which is funny because if you go even a couple years back, Capcom was hated by most of their fan base for their decisions they were making. So, um, anyways, I didn't play Kingdom Hearts three <laughs> to finish off that. We started the whole conversation about it, and I didn't even play it. Um, messed around some more with Trials Rising. I've gotten to the point now where I'm towards the end of the game. Um, it's really cool when you have a series that you played for a long time that for the general populace is kind of it gets it difficult real fast and you're kind of comfortable with it um yeah i so there's training the the training uh, missions you can do jordan that i've talked about the university of trials things um i've like clean swept them you, you get grades based on how far you perform in them and obviously mm-hmm. newer players aren't meant to perform that well and you'll probably finish with like a c or a d i a plus them do just muscle memory no problems whatsoever which is i actually impressed myself quite a bit um, I'm at the point now where the way the trials games go is early on you're playing a lot of the easy and medium courses and you can kind of get through them with gold medals. You can get through them with silver or bronze, but I'm pretty OCD and neurotic about this that stuff of like making sure I finish with the gold medal. Um, and as the game goes on, the levels get harder to gold medal. So I'm at the point now where I'm taking a little bit of time with each level, a little bit longer. Whereas before I could get a gold medal on a game on, on a map in maybe between one and three or five tries now it's taking me some time of figuring out like which which bike is best for the track what are the track lines i need to take what shortcuts do i need to try to get to um yeah like i said before track lanes can you explain that to me real quick so essentially if you're a beginning player there's a very obvious track lane from point from the beginning of the map to the end of the map and you just follow it with some ramps in between and obviously there's different obstacles in the way and stuff like that just a normal track you'd see but as you get better at the game and you start getting higher on jumps or you see these little breakaway parts in the map that are like broken like broken boards that you can kind of slam through with your bike you realize there's actual multiple lanes in a map so think of it as so like are you going like further back into the screen or further towards the screen uh yes to some extent but it's more of higher or lower right or okay. actually like in between an area you've been before so one of the coolest track lanes in this like snow lodge map is you can you can hit this ramp and clear this this uh, like manor right this like log cabin and get to the other side and continue going, but if you land on the top and go down the chimney, it opens up a separate track lane that actually gets you farther in the level quicker, so your time at the end is shorter. So they're essentially nice. shortcuts, but it's not always the case. Sometimes it's just instead of going having to go through three ramps in a row and kind of slowing your pace. If the first ramp you get high enough, there's a separate lane up top that you land on and you can skip all that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just trying to figure out the level and see what track lines get you the fastest times. Um, like I mentioned last week, Jordan, I would say this game definitely isn't as good as Evolution, um, but it isn't a disappointment to me as somebody, as a fan of the series. It's still solid. Uh, we talked about the level structure and how they went away from a menu based level structure to a map, a globe, with all of these icons on it, which is messy. Pretty messy, actually. Um, Yeah, I'm enjoying my time with it. 
I wanted it to be a, a personal goatee contender for me. I think it'll end up in my top ten probably just because I love the Trial Series so much, but um, it, it didn't meet all my expectations, and it isn't as good as Evolution. So if okay. you're listening and you're interested in Trials, Evolution is for me is the gold standard um, in terms cool. of level layout, level structure, um, challenges, hidden Easter eggs. It's like cream of the crop. Um, good to know. I watched Captain Marvel. Uh, no spoilers. I really enjoyed it. Um, like I've stated on Twitter and stuff, it's not a top five MCU movie for me, but I do think it's a it's a solid MCU movie and in the upper echelon for me. Um, we talked about how you said it, it was better than Ant-Man and the Wasp, clearly, and that, obviously that was the last Marvel movie, um, but it didn't meet Infinity War, which I, I think a lot of movies in the MCU are going to have a hard time meeting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. That was a great introduction to the character. Um, hearing beforehand, people were saying that they felt Brie Larson was uh, miscast. I don't think so in the slightest. I think she nailed Carol Danvers. Um, I think the issues I had with her character weren't her acting as Carol Danvers. It was some like dialogue choices, which goes to the writing of the film, not necessarily her. Yeah, there were some writing spots where I was yeah. like, oof. But that's yeah. I don't I don't place that on Brie Larson, right? I place that on the writing sure. in the film. Um, so really enjoyed Another it. Another thing it, is which take. Which take you pick, you know, exactly. line, yeah. some of these one, one-liners, like, um, it makes a big difference which take you pick, like, a recent example is Deadpool 2, different, you know, there's different versions of the movie, and then different version in the trailer, and some people like a certain joke in one take versus another, so that makes a big difference. Yeah, um, I just want to finish with saying it's... It's, it's a great lead-up to Endgame. Like, I'm super excited for Endgame. Yeah. Uh, the trailers worried me for this movie uh, because I didn't think it had very good trailers, but the movie exceeded those, and I really enjoyed it. Um, outside of that, I didn't do much else. Read some comics, nothing of note necessarily. We went, we went on for Kingdom Hearts for a little while, so I don't want to take up too much time with anything else. Uh, but for you guys, what have you guys been playing? Well, like I said, I haven't played shit. Um, <laughs> just, as you know, Jared, I've had uh, just kind of a frustrating start to the year with uh, with some games. And so, probably just, you know, maybe even subconsciously decided to stay away from games for a week. So oh, real quick, Chris, uh, he went from being a little let down by Kingdom Hearts 3 to getting into Wargroove and being upset at Wargroove, to getting into Anthem and not being able to log into Anthem. So it's been like a track record of like... Uh. I feel your pain I feel your pain with Anthem. It was probably one of my biggest disappointments in a while. Oh, yeah, definitely. He hasn't even been able to play Kingdom Hearts either. is a gradual... <laughs> Kingdom Hearts is like a gradual, like, quicksand sinking down into disappointment. Anthem is like disappointment right out of the gate and like keeps on kicking me in the teeth and so I'm like oh jeez sure. man so yeah I just decided to watch stuff mostly um, and um, watched various stuff but what's on my mind right now Jared I was mentioning this before we got in and on our Facebook chat I was watching the uh, Leaving Neverland documentary series oh, about God. Michael Jackson. My yeah, wife and I watched the fir- watched the full first episode, and it was yeah. like, yeah, it was pretty intense. Hard pass yeah, for so, me from what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, so I just want to say I also recently watched a documentary called Abducted in Plain Sight, Ooh, aka yep. <laughs> Hard Pass for Forever, me too. Forever B. Uh, released on Netflix, which is about uh, kind of an unfortunately similar story about 
this dude who got involved with his family and kidnapped their daughter twice um, and, you know, had a romantic relationship with this little girl, unfortunately. Um, and both of these movies, the reason I wanted to bring these up, I don't often talk about documentaries on the show, but uh, the reason I wanted to bring these up is there's, to me, uh, a little bit in Abducted in Plain Sight is what I'll call it, uh, and then even more so in Leaving Neverland, there's a little bit where we get to the point where I'm kind of asking, like, are we, are the documentarians still trying to make us dislike this pedophile, or are they almost, like, getting to the turning point of almost romanticizing things and, um, not necessarily condoning it, but just kind of being like, um not as creeped out by it as you should be um like i could not honestly comprehend how uh they would allow in leaving neverland them to go this intricately detailed into the sex acts that were committed to these guys like they're they're describing it to an extent that is way 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 past anything that anyone like needs to does know. it even need this to be is, in the documentary yeah it's it's and it's extensive jared i mean it is like consistent and extensive and like it's a pretty well-made documentary it's beautiful with a lot of drone shots yep but that's also part of the romanticization of it is like it's called leaving neverland there's a lot of like almost like Disney's animated movie style Neverland music and there's a lot of these beautiful drone shots going over Australia or LA and it's like there's a certain like I mean there's literally times where the two men that were you know in a relationship with Michael as boys are talking about like being in love with him and like like you know almost wanting this situation in certain uh, at certain points of the documentary and I'm just like oh man this is you don't, I don't, I'm not the, like, moral high ground person that's like, we need to, like, you know, show how much of a piece of shit Michael Jackson is, but I think the point I'm trying to make here is, um, documentarians specifically have a responsibility in my eyes to make sure that the tone of what they're talking about is clear enough to say that they're not even in the realm of condoning some of the things that happened in either of these two documentaries, the because... It gets creepy. Like, I'm telling you, man, they go they go to the point of, like, describing in such detail where I'm like, are they... It almost feels like they're trying to make it erotic, the documentarians. Yeah. Like, it's it gets to the point of eroticism where I'm like, they're describing in utter, utter detail, and I just do not think that that's necessary. And so, um, I guess just kind of like a word of caution, not that there's any, like... You know, gigantic documentarians watching this, but it's just you know, there, it's something that needs to be said, in my opinion, because I feel like Leaving Neverland went way, way, way too far. Like I don't need to know those specific details. That the crazy I thing, Jordan, here because it's just it's not okay. The crazy thing is, uh, so I've heard that, and I'm like hard out on it just because of that, right? Like I don't feel I need to watch it. Did you I, only hear that from me? No, I've heard it from multiple people. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. I was wondering, like, am I the only one? There's got to be other people here. It's a pretty common thing. The crazy thing to me is I know people in my real life that are hard out on Black Miller, uh, Miller? Black Mirror because they say it's too depressing <laughs> and they don't want to feel depressed when they watch a show. And I'm like, right. oh, okay, I understand that. But then these same people are like, 
this find this leaving Neverland documentary. It's so crazy. It's yada yada yada. Right. To me, I'm the opposite of that. Of like, I, I I easily watch Black Mirror because it's it's a Fiction. play on like what the worst thing that can happen with technology and yeah. um and the Twilight Zone and obviously all of that and. Yeah, for me, when I heard this stuff, I was like, I'm, I'm hard out on, on Leaving Neverland. I'll never watch it. It just doesn't... Hearing that, I don't need to hear that stuff or know that stuff. It's just like, I'm cool, you know? Yeah, I can confirm, in my in my opinion, Michael Jackson sexually abused young children. So that's, you know, that's kind of like what this documentary seems to be proving. And, you know, if you trust my opinion enough, Jared, you can take that with a grain of salt. But, like, that's that's about all you need. You well, know? And the, the crazy thing with the lawsuit that's come out of this movie, too, of, like, one of the people mentioned in the movie is now suing the, the people who made the movie. It's a big old thing. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It's is, just, uh, it's a little bit unfortunate. And I do think that, uh, it, you know, it wasn't handled totally correctly. I try to be someone who's very strong stomach when it comes to whether it be fictional or something like a documentary that is more uh, nonfiction, um, I try not to shy away from gore or gory details, um, but at a certain point it becomes indulgent, and I don't think that that's beneficial in uh, yeah. usually we, any situation. As we've talked about, there's so much entertainment out there that you kind of have to cut your losses and decide what you want to want to entertain yourself with. Right, and exactly. This is something that I don't find any value in watching myself for... Right. I don't need to hear any of that stuff, and it's like I'd rather. It's like a four-hour documentary, isn't it? It's two parts. Yeah, it's two part. Yeah, I could yeah. use that. I could use that four hours uh, for something I didn't mention earlier. Is I'm rewatching Game of Thrones now in the lead up to season eight. It's like nice. I can use that four hours to watch that. I don't need to watch Leaving Neverland. You know what I mean? So, yeah. We had we had yeah. to take it in bite-sized pieces too because it was just a lot. Like it, we had yeah. to do it in like forty-five minute chunks. I mean, it was too much to do in like the full set. I could just imagine you're a father. Like it's even. Uh, yeah, I, I and to to Jordan's point, like the romanticism with like I don't know, like the the, the rings and all this other stuff. It was just really yeah. a lot, and like I I think I was more I I was numb to the Michael Jackson stuff, right? Because like I just I'm under the I'm in under the impression that he did, that he did it. It's just sure. it's a gut feeling, but I was sure. more angry at the parents who just I don't know if I if the word allow is it is a good word, but like just trusted. Trusted didn't didn't see warning signs. I don't know. Like it, as a as a have parent, you seen abducted in plain sight? I have not. I have not. Gosh, Bad story. Watching these two, <laughs> watching these two documentaries near each other like this. I watched the other one like a week ago or within the last week. It's like, yeah, you want to put your fist through the screen into those sure. parents' faces. It's like, what in the absolute fuck could you possibly have been thinking and. And, of course, they try to say, well, in this situation and these circumstances and this, that, and the other. It's like, no, 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 no. The You're only argument, piece of shit. The only argument I can see with Michael Jackson is that they were people who grew up with the idol that was Michael Jackson, right? To me, it was, I parents, it was parents who used their kids as meal tickets. Gotcha. Yeah, that I understand being sense. starstruck, but that's the thing is you have to be like, listen, I was starstruck and I let my kid go get molested. Like, you can't yeah. be like... I was starstruck, and therefore I didn't know. Like you were starstruck, and therefore it let it uh, led you to making these sorts of mistakes. Like they're just they're never willing to be honest and just like no. Like there's well, this woman in I think it might you might not have seen this part. It might be in part two. I think uh, of leaving Neverland, but one of the moms is like laughing about one of the situations, and I was like, did this woman just laugh? 
Yeah. It was laugh right now, and it wasn't like, oh, he molested him, ha ha ha. But it was like, it was talking about one of the situations, cackle, laugh, whatever, and then, yeah, like, the rest of the story is the kid getting molested. I'm like, you... I think it might be, like, such a dark situation that the parents are almost, like, disconnected and disillusioned, you know? Yeah. Let's, uh... Sorry, Chris, do you have something to say? No, no. No, uh, no I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> let's take the hardest U-turn in podcast history. <laughs> uh, Chris, what have you been playing? <laughs> um, I, I've been playing... I, I, I'm kind of in Jordan's camp here because, like, I played Kingdom Hearts, and then it was just like, okay, what's next? And there there wasn't really, like, a big game that I wanted to play. So I have been I went back and started playing Shadow of the Tomb Raider because I didn't, and I've already beaten oh, cool. the other two. So it was just kind of more like, hey, it's free because I have Xbox Game Pass, and yeah. so why don't I, I hop in? And I've put 10 or 12 hours in, and I don't know if I'm going to finish the game because it's not that great. And it, it's more like I don't have anything else to play, so I'm just kind of chipping away until um, all of the stuff that I want to play is coming out. Sekiro's coming out. Um, I wasn't really in on Devil May Cry, but I just bu- you know just bought it because, I don't know, I, I, I'm looking for a hop-in point. And I was really big on The Division 2, but now I'm kind of backing away a little bit because I'm not sure how many of my friends are actually going to play. And that game is really kind of based upon that. Did you see the download and, numbers for it, by the way? Uh, I didn't. Is it, is so it crazy? It's, for Xbox and PC, it's 50 gigs, and for PS4, it's 92 gigs. That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, that's weird, man. It's <laughs> weird. And, and, yeah. I'm sure just, on regular PS4, you're downloading the 4K bits. I'm sure. sure. Yeah, I'm yeah sure that's probably what it is, yeah. I think I just got a bad taste in my mouth after, because I played the Anthem. I, I, I had pre-ordered it. And then basically canceled my pre-order after playing that VIP, whatever it was called. After not being able to get in and having to wait and waste my time, I just, I backed out. And since then, I just haven't had anything. And now, like, a bunch of stuff. Days Gone is a game that I'm, I've been in on from the beginning, so I'm really excited about mm. that. So, um, I don't know. I just, right now, I have, I've been watching a lot of television. I just, I went and saw Captain Marvel, like you said. So to me, Captain Marvel is the appetizer. The main course is Endgame, and then the dessert's gonna mm. be Spider-Man. So like, I'm I'm hoping kind of that's how the summer goes with those mar- with the the DC or the pardon me the Marvel films. There's and, some uh, uh, food sickness, some food poisoning in there with X-Men uh, Dark Phoenix. Oh, oh I, <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ! Which is why I left that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was just talking about uh, I posted today on Twitter on like Game of Thrones, Shazam, and Endgame all next month. April is like just I'm ready for it. Yeah, man, it's it's a good it's a good time to be alive. Like it's just, oh man, I thought last year was great. You know when we got Infinity War and, I mean off the top of my head I can't name everything that came out last year. But even this year with like I'm I'm huge into the Lion King live action movie that's coming sure. out. I have sure. faith in that. Um, Aladdin's like I'm kind of worried. <laughs> um, the Ooh, funny boy. thing with Aladdin is that everyone was making fun of the CG for Will Smith, which I get, but, like, Jafar was the thing that turned me off a lot. Um, oh, yeah. Because he looks nothing like an evil villain. He looks like a hunk. You know what I mean? I'm like, why is Jafar, like, this, like, Middle Eastern model? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So, before I forget, let's say not right after we see Endgame, but, like, a year after Endgame comes out, do you think we're going to, in general, like Endgame better or Infinity War? Ooh, that's tough. 
I think we'll like Infinity War better based upon the fact that there's such high expectation for Endgame. I don't know if we we didn't we didn't know what we didn't know with Infinity War, and I think I, I was yeah. pleasantly surprised with it. And I think the anticipation of of a culmination of all of this period of time in the last three hours is just going to be a lot. Yeah, and I also yeah. think that like Infinity War didn't have the expectations of being the last movie in a phase of films and like Endgame we've heard it's the stopping point or it's a restart for the next phase of the MCU a different look all of this sure. stuff one of the main Avengers is more than likely going to die in Endgame which might make people upset because if RDJ is gone forever that people are going to be mad about that if it's Steve Rogers uh, you know Chris Evans people are going to be mad about that if it's both of them I do th- the thing with Infinity War even though it does feel like the first half of a full movie it was Thanos's movie and like that's really cool I don't think Endgame's gonna have that I don't think it's gonna be one specific like narrative through line of an antagonist um, mm-hmm. I do think there will be some surprises that we don't see coming like I personally don't believe Thanos is the main antagonist of that movie overall I think yeah. something's gonna happen to where you know I don't want to get into it because I don't want to accidentally spoil it if people haven't read comics or anything like that but yeah I just long story short, Chris, I think Infinity War will be viewed as the 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 uh, better movie. I guess Jordan, you were asking that. Um, yeah, yeah. What I think is awesome is we're in 2019 and nobody is talking about Star Wars right now, and it's coming in December, which I'm pretty excited about. I'm actually kind of excited I about think, the end of the uh, end of this trilogy, but it's like but it's quietly just Star it's, Wars. It's under the radar. I, I think like the first trailer will Star dictate Wars. a lot in terms of how much we'll continue talking about it. Sure. Um, yeah, I so I was pro Last Jedi. I was in the vast minority, um, so it's it's very interesting. Um, I tried starting solo on Netflix and I just couldn't get into it. Not if it was just the day I was starting to watch it or whatever. But I need to get yeah. back to it. Um, no, I think it'd be any day. Disney they... Star Wars movie. It's my favorite <laughs> Disney Star Wars movie. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Anything Anything else you want to mention, Chris? Before we hop over mm. to the news. Nope. nope. No. Um, so you're in on Sekiro, you got DMC5. What's like your big, your most anticipated like second half of the year title from what we oh, know? I'm, uh, from what we know right now, I'm The Fallen Order is is where I'm at. Like I, I am in on Star Wars. Like I can't wait. Like I think after Respawn did what they did with Apex, like at, at this point, like that's the game that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. The, the, the thing too is like we don't know if Last of Us this year, we don't know a lot of things. and. No. From the way EA is talking, like Jedi Fallen Order is what they have this fall, so I I highly doubt that game moves out of there. And Apex Legends is awesome, and I'm a big Titanfall and Titanfall 2 guy, so to see them finally get the reception they deserve. Um, the big thing with me is I'm interested to see how big the multiplayer aspect of the game is, because I know they said there's going to be a, a, a good single-player experience, but I wonder what, with Apex Legends doing so well, I wonder what the support and the scope of the multiplayer of Jedi Fallen Order will be. Um, if it'll be like large scale battles or like medium scale, you know what I mean, or somewhere in between or both, I don't know, because I could see like team deathmatch style smaller maps, or I could see big expansive stuff in like Timefall Two has some pretty large maps. Um, I don't know, it's it's interesting. We need to see more. Uh, we're not gonna have a press conference. So our first look will be at Star Wars Celebration. Um, who knows? Anyways, let's hop into the news. We got a bunch of news stories here to look at. Um, speaking of Apex Legends, uh, it reached 50 million players in its first four weeks, which is pretty impressive. You know, people like to take jabs and saying, oh, it did it way quicker than Fortnite. And obviously you have to take into account the fact that 
Fortnite was free, and it kind of set up the expectation for people to know what a battle royale is and a free-to-play battle royale. And Apex Legends is kind of, you know, riding the wave that is Fortnite. So it's really cool that it reached 50 million, but it's not super impressive that it did it quicker than Fortnite, considering the current landscape we're in. Um, mm. Chris, I know you're not really a. Uh, I know you like games as service, but outside of that, you're not really a multiplayer guy, right? No, not at all. I mean, I played Apex Legends. I actually played with uh, with a couple of guys about two or three weeks ago. I mean, it's okay. It was okay for me. Like, I, I had a, a, a fun time, but not yeah. something that I would stick around and like stay in. And I'm not. I'm just. I don't like battle royal games and first person shooter stuff. It's just not my jam. Dom, our other uh, uh, host, he's exactly like you. He's not really a multiplayer guy. He jumped in. He's like, oh, I understand. This is a very polished, great game. Not for me. <laughs> he's like, I just want the battle royales in my thing. Um, but it is cool that it's it's a, a high quality game in the sense that somebody like you, who's not really into those type of games, can get in there and understand why it's succeeding. You know, like sure. the we talked about all. We talked about all the disappointments, and I think the biggest story of quarter <laughs> one uh, this year is Apex and Tetris. Like two free to play games are are dominating over games that have people put. To, like Jordan's at 10, 15 years into, so yeah. it's just it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, speaking of a game that possibly might have 10 to 15 years put into it, uh, in a recent interview with J-Wave, which is a Japanese gaming outlet, uh, Hideo Kojima... That sounds like a Christian radio station. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Hideo Kojima revealed that Death Stranding is slightly behind schedule, and uh, I kind of want to talk to you guys about what that means. Obviously, I've said numerous times on this podcast that I... Thought there was no chance of Death Stranding coming out in 2019. I thought it was going to be a 2020 game. With this, I'm actually kind of worried that it might not even hit 2020. Um, at this point, I don't think there's no way this only releases on PS4. I think it'll at the very least be a cross-gen game. Um, what do you guys think about this? Are you guys worried about Death Stranding? Is this what you expected kind of with Kojima's kind of legacy with game development? Kojima to me, when he says something is delayed, it's almost like in dog years. So like, I don't know if that if if his version of delayed means like six months and it's no big deal, or if it's like in our terms, like it's a year and it's a big deal. So yeah, I I, I, I honestly think this was a cross gen game to begin with. I never thought that this was a 2019. I didn't even think it was a 20 uh, early 2020 game. I thought at the yeah. at best it was a PS4 transfer game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see you there. Yeah, I mean, people love to give this game a lot of shit, but they're there was no point where Kojima said, hey, man. Oh, well, I guess he did say it's going to be out by the time. Uh, he said it was a PS4 game. No, but he said something about, like, by the 2020 Olympics or something, didn't he? Or Yeah, something um, like that. <laughs> he, like, connected it to Akira, which takes place in 2020, I think, in Tokyo. I think that's what it was. He's like, it'll be out before Akira takes place or something. Um, but really, like, there's been no official, you know, it'll be out fall 2019. There's nothing yeah. like that. So people love to give it shit, but at the end of the day, there has not been something stamped on a piece of paper that says it's going to be out at this time. So, you know, I don't think it's a huge deal to me. And he's also, like, an tour, so it's like he's going to take as much time as he wants to on it. I'm pretty sure Sony has said, like, hey, do your thing. Just get us the game out, and we'll we'll, we'll worry about it then. I think he's in a different situation than Corey Barlog was, where when God of War was about to come out, uh, the PSX before that, remember there was that weird exchange between Sean Layden and Corey Barlog, where Sean Layden's like, you should be back in Santa Monica working on God of War, and Corey Barlog's like, ha ha ha, I haven't slept in weeks, 
Remember that? <laughs> and I think Hideo Kojima's in a completely different situation where Sean Layden's like, hey, how's the game coming along? <laughs> He's like, oh, it's going good, you know. Doesn't yeah. want to bump it or, you know, rock the ship. Um, speaking of rocking the ship, uh, for years we had talked about Vivendi possibly taking over in a very hostile fashion Ubisoft. Uh, Vivendi yep. at one point owned 27.3% stake in Ubisoft, which is crazy. It's obviously more than one-fourth of the company. Um, but recently we got the news that they sold all of their shares. Uh, they're like, hey, the, the takeover didn't happen. It didn't work. Um, a lot of this is due to Yves Gilmour and Ubisoft having a great direction uh, for their games in the last three or four years. Like We talk about Jordan all the time with at the end of the year with the MPDs. They always have a game there at the end of the year that's in the top ten. Uh, you know, Ghost Recon Wildlands, a game that I thought was pretty solid. Obviously, it wasn't like a goatee contender. No one really talked about it. But it sold mm. extremely well. Uh, Rainbow Six Siege, obviously, post-release is done extremely well. Um, we have The Division uh, 2 coming up. Uh, even their crossover uh, Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom battle with Nintendo was a hit. People were like, how is this game going to work? I'm out. The Rabbids are weird. And it ended up being a surprise hit, and people loved it. I just think Ubisoft's direction has been very solid. Um, what do you guys think about this in terms of Vivendi pulling out? Do you think Ubisoft kind of did it because they understood they had to focus on what gamers wanted? I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they went to the gamers and said, hey, listen, we're about to get taken over unless you start buying our games. Like, they literally <laughs> yeah. went to people. And they, they weren't they didn't hide the fact that that was the case. They they went out and said, hey, we're this is what we're doing. We're doing it for you, but we're going to need your support in order to make this happen. And then that's when the tide started changing, and they and they were they were more active in the community. They were more active communicating, and they also pulled back and said, "Listen, we're only going to do four or five games, and we're going to make those games a service, and we're going to focus only on those." And they held off on doing the Assassin's Creeds every year, and they put a lot of time in the Division Two, or where they you know were learning their lessons from Division One, and then they really pushed Division One, you know, but they had that conversation like we're heading towards two, we know what's going on. So I don't know. I just feel like they backed off a little bit on doing too much, and then they went right to the people in order to, you know, get their support. Well, and I think there is just, I think there's a certain individual out there who isn't necessarily a hardcore gamer that just buys Ubisoft games because they're open world games you'll have fun in, right? The people that buy Assassin's Creed and Far Cry and this is like Ubisoft suite. Far Cry 5 last year didn't review really very well, and it still ended up in the top 10 for MPD at the end of the year. They know how to market their games. They have an audience for them, and people buy them. Um, it's and really they support their games. They support them. That's the biggest e Exactly. Thing I mean, people don't talk about For Honor, but For Honor for a long time has had over a million players, not concurrently, obviously, but that was the game when it released that we were like, oh, it was cool for a week, and then it died. And then, no, it's like, oh, our player base is strong. Rainbow Six Siege, you don't have to talk about it at this point. Everyone knows that that game is super successful. Um, yeah. It's it's really cool. I'm glad that it didn't happen. It'd be weird. To, I'd love to peek into, like, a multiverse uh, telescope and see, you know, what happened in, in the universe where Vivendi did take over Ubisoft just to see how that did play out. I'm glad it didn't happen here <laughs> where we actually exist. Um, but, yeah, it's cool to see that this didn't happen. Because, like, 27.3% is a large stake in a company. And people think, like, oh, you need to own 51% to be majority. That's not how it works. Everyone has a piece. And, it, you know, it just depends on how those pieces divide up in terms of whether yeah, or not you have... Yeah, the next largest piece could be 14%. And so you have more than 10% more than... 
exactly the next largest stakeholder. So it's good to see that that didn't happen. Uh, I haven't gone to Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom battle. It's currently on sale, so I'm I'm sitting there waiting if I want to do an impulse buy or not. Um, they've got, they've quietly got it. they've quietly got a lot of games coming out. I mean, Skull and Bones is going to be out this year. Mario Rabbit's Two is rumored to be out. Uh, their Division Two is coming out. They got uh, what's the one with the, uh, the the tech guy that that leaked that in uh, Watch Dogs Three apparently Watch, happening Watch in Dogs London. Three. Yeah. So they have they have quite a few games that are going to be releasing this year that aren't Assassin's Creed, which is kind of cool too. Uh, I'm hoping we see Child of Light Two, a random uh, surprise yeah. announcement. Personally, I love the UBR games. Maybe another weird Rayman game. Who knows? Um, then hopefully it will come to the Switch. And speaking of the Nintendo Switch, a couple of days ago, we're recording this on the 8th of March. The 3rd of March was the two-year anniversary of the Nintendo Switch. Uh, the mm. Nintendo... What was the project name? XD? No. NX. 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 There you go. NX, yeah. What do, do you guys remember the leaked prototype pictures of that like Joy-Con-looking thing in front of the computer that ended up being fake? It was like black. Mm. It looked like a like an old school like Atari kind of, like an oval. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird stuff. It's it's funny living now in the world where we know what the Nintendo Switch is. It's been super successful. Um, you know, Nintendo is didn't necessarily hit their twenty million mark they wanted for a year, um, but it's still selling very well. Clearly outpacing the Wii U. Uh, we'll we'll pass the Xbox One suite of consoles uh, in the next couple of years, uh, if not sooner than that, depending on what games come out. Um, but to celebrate its anniversary, I just wanted to know from you guys real quick, it doesn't have to be a long discussion, um, what your favorite experiences have been, maybe a couple of games on the, on the Switch. Um, I'll start. For me, my favorite Switch game is Super Mario Odyssey. I know most people will say Breath of the Wild. I had a lot of problems with Breath of the Wild. I enjoyed the game, but it, it wasn't my favorite Nintendo Switch exclusive. Um, Super Mario Odyssey, I'm somebody who has a deep nostalgia for Super Mario 64. Um, I wasn't super into Sunshine. It didn't really feel like Super Mario 64 to me. I didn't own a Wii, so I didn't really get to play the Galaxy game. So this was my my true trip of nostalgia back to Super Mario 64. I you love every bit of it. Never owned a Wii. No, I <laughs> I Holy never owned a Wii. Shit, Jared's like one he's of the like, only I was, people. I was going to say he's that world. one guy. <laughs> so my cousins had a Wii. So. Let me preface this by saying this was back when I played a lot of sports Yeah, you games. were around Wiis, but, like... My cousins had a Wii, and I went over, and they're like, hey, you want to play Madden? And I'm like, sure. And then I saw what Madden looked like on the Wii, and I was like, this console's awful. That's um, bad. Oh, God. That was not the... That, that was, was not, not the, the showpiece. That was not the Wii showpiece. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so Super Mario Odyssey loved it. I devoured it. I have every moon in that game. I got it within the first two weeks, all the moons, all 999 of them. Loved it. Um, Hollow Knight, I played it on PC. We talked about it on the podcast, and I said I'd wait for it to come to Switch. Love Hollow Knight. Um, and outside, I liked uh, Smash. Um, I wasn't a fan of the World of Light campaign, but Super Smash Brothers is just always a good time with friends. That, those would probably be my three. There's obviously a lot of indie games I'd mention, but I don't want to go on too long. So, yeah, but Super Mario Odyssey is my standout. Um, and I can't wait for Pokemon Sword and Shield and Fire Emblem and all the other games we're getting this year. So, what about you guys? Your favorite Switch games? Wow, it's been weird. It's weird that you say it's two years because it, I didn't realize it had been uh, we're that far along in the life cycle of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, tons of great games. Um, and for me, the Switch, I like a lot of the games in a kind of like a 
on a similar level where I wouldn't say I have like one specific favorite game. Um, spent a lot of time playing Breath of the Wild and enjoyed the shit out of that. Obviously, I've voiced my concerns with that game uh, many a time on this show. Um, Odyssey is another great game. Had a lot of fun with that and um, didn't really have as many problems with it. Excuse me. Um, I'd say, though, if there is one, it might have to be just the one that I've had the most fun with. It might have to be Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is not even a native Switch game. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, you know, I got the gold card in that, so I played a ton of solo stuff, and then obviously it's been a lot of just a blast to play um, couch co op wise, having people over. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that one I've probably gotten the most enjoyment out of, um, and is great on both the big screen and in handheld mode. Um, and then, you know, recently we've got, um, Hollow Knight is a little more recent, I guess you could say, had a lot of fun with that and it was, uh, worth the wait for it coming to Switch. Um, but then, uh, Smash Bros. Ultimate, once again, had fun playing single player and multiplayer on that one. Um, you know, World of Light's alright, it's not the best, but, uh, still fun and it was me really learning how to play Smash Bros. truly for the first time, so I think that's why I enjoyed it so much, and that game is an awesome culmination for that series. Um, then there's smaller stuff, you know, like Valkyria Chronicles Remastered. I've talked a lot about like the various um, strategy games I've been playing on the system. Um, so... Um, Into the Breach. Uh, more recently, we've talked about Wargroove. Um, fuck Banner Saga I was forgetting the name uh, Banner Saga um, and you know not all of these are, like I said are native Switch games but a lot of these games are perfect for the Switch and you know obviously some of these games I've bought multiple times having already owned them on PS4 it's just so appealing to uh, you know have them in that uh, hybrid state where you can bounce back and forth um, and then uh, something that I've talked about recently on the show, shout out to Bayonetta. I've only played the first one at this point, but um, that is a series that obviously Nintendo has been <clears throat> nurturing and uh, kind of keeping alive. Not that it's destitute, but they've certainly been um, propping it up over the years uh, now with them developing Bayonetta 3. So um, definitely shout out to them bringing the original two games over, and I really enjoyed the first one on the Switch. So. Yeah, lots of great experiences I've had on the Switch in the first couple of years since launch. Chris, what was your favorite? Um, well, I'm going to take a little bit of a side uh, side turn on this, and I'm going to talk about just like three of my favorite memories of the Switch. My cool. first is buying it in a Walmart parking lot off a dude off of uh, <laughs> Facebook because like they oh, were God. impossible they were impossible to get when they first got So I paid like sure. an extra 20 bucks more than it was worth, but like, you know, just yeah. to get my hands on it. Um, and I took that to my first PAX uh, East, and like when you were walking around PAX, there were like I wouldn't say a handful of people, but there wasn't very many people that were carrying around switches. Like it was because yeah. it was hard; it was really, really hard to get. So that was a fun experience because you got to talk to people about it. Um, and my other favorite memory of the Switch is how many people were shitting on Nintendo for that uh, that treehouse and and that uh, that Nintendo Direct about the Switch when they first came out with it. And they're like, "This machine is terrible. Nobody's gonna buy it." I don't understand. 
and then how well it did afterwards. I think that that they overcame uh, I, I not bad messaging, but I think that that first direct really was rough for Nintendo. I don't think they came out of it super strong. They had piqued people's interest, but there was more doubt still because of the Wii U, and they had to overcome a lot to get to where the Switch is right now. Yeah, I mean, you do a point there. One thing I forgot about is uh, Jordan and Dom got the Switch upon release uh, when it released yes. in March. I didn't get my Switch, Chris, until uh, the week before Super Mario Odyssey launched. Oh, wow. Um, and I was like, because I didn't really want to be in the first wave. I knew it was hard to come sure. by. I just didn't want to go through all of that. Um, and I wasn't really super... I wanted to play Breath of the Wild, but it wasn't like the showpiece game. I wasn't super excited for it. Mm-hmm. Odyssey, though, like I said, it was growing up a Super Mario 64 kid. I was like, I told them, I was like, I'm going to have a Switch before that game comes out. I yep. did. I bought it, got Super Mario Odyssey, played through it, like I said, like a madman, got all 999 moons in like two weeks, immediately jumped into Breath of the Wild. Uh, enjoyed my time with Breath of the Wild. Like I said, it wasn't my favorite of the two, um, but it doesn't mean it wasn't a great game. Um, yeah, it just, the Switch is really cool because we were sitting at a point before it released that like, hey, if this hardware release for Nintendo doesn't work out, we could be seeing them potentially becoming a third-party publisher. Because yep. they do have a war chest, but, like, that runs out, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's it's really cool to see the Switch be successful. Obviously, there's rumors of a revision this year, and we'll see what happens. But my time with it, I think it's been money well spent overall, and I'm really happy to own the Nintendo Switch. Um, hey, I've been trying to remember this. Uh, just kind of a good time to mention it. Downwell just came, on the, came out on the Switch. I picked it up for three fucking dollars if you guys haven't heard of this game it's a super simple game where you're just this character going down a well and there's creatures that you're trying to dodge and shoot you have uh, gun boots that lift you up in the air instead of having an actual jump button and so if you haven't checked out down well man i would highly recommend that three dollar experience on the switch and it's it'd be perfect uh big screen or mobile Jared, um, I think it's just super funny that you mentioned the fact that Nintendo was considering going to like third party, and now we have uh, Xbox going on Nintendo. So, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it's such a it's such a change of event. Man, speaking of Xbox, this isn't in quickie news, but like the whole story with Don uh, Don Matrick not even believing in the Xbox console. It's like no That's wonder crazy. that guy failed yeah. at leading. Uh, <laughs> in Phil, we trust, man. I love Phil Spencer. Anyways, speaking of the Nintendo Switch, we recently had the direct that unveiled the Gen Eight for Pokemon, the first mainline Pokemon games on the Nintendo Switch, Pokemon Sword and Shield. And there was a 4chan user who posted before the Direct, and he basically talked about how their their next games were going to be Sword and Shield, it was going to take place in the UK, and then he went on and stated a bunch of other leaks or information that he had for this gen. Those weren't confirmed or unconfirmed by, by the Pokemon company or in the Direct itself. There are things that are pretty much plausible and could happen with the bigger reveal of the game and i just kind of wanted to go over them real quick because they are interesting so um the rest of the post now believed to have some validity because he correctly predicted that they were sword and shield uh went on to say that the two legendary pokemon in the game will be a metal snake and a wooden horse um kind of playing on like you know norse mythology and also um like roman uh or roman right Wooden Trojan horse. Am I correct uh, with that? Well, Trojan would be Troy, which was uh, wouldn't that be Greece? Greek. Yep. 
You're part correct. Of, part of ancient uh, Greece. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Also, I was going to say uh, wooden shield and metal sword. Exactly. True. Um, but that also leads it to like, oh, it was just, it's a clever guess. Um, because they're all, there's yeah. also the wolves on each of the logos. So people are like, well, wouldn't the legendaries just be the wolves? Dude, I want some wolf legendaries, um, bro. You know, I love the big cats. He also said that the the gimmick in this game, because Pokemon games always have a gimmick, right? There's the Z-moves. There's the Mega Evolutions. He said that the gimmick in this game would be armored evolutions. So you would have a mm. uh, you would have a Pokemon and it would evolve into an armored evolution, but you can only evolve it in this region, kind of like uh, Alolan forms in Sun Alolan. and Moon. But um, it's not like a Mega Evolution where it's only during the battle, the singular battle, right? Exactly. The interesting thing is, so if you look at the logo for both the games, going back every generation. They hide a mechanic in the game in the logo. So in the Sun and Moon oh, logo, you actually see the Z-Move thing. You know, the Z-Move logo? Um, that was in yeah. the Sun and Moon logos. In the Sword and Shield logos, there's a Pokeball that's half blue, half red. My assumption is that the mechanic in this game will be defensive and offensive stances. You know what I mean? I think that'll be the gimmick. So I think Pokemon will have like an offensive stance or a defensive stance in battle, and you get bonuses for that. Right, I think that'll be the gimmick. Something to do with offense and defense, which plays to Sword and Shield. But the armored evolutions, he said that there's actually three that he knew, knows about: a Charizard, Mewtwo, and Flygon. The first two kind of make sense because two of the showpieces for Mega Evolutions, if you guys remember, were Mega Charizard and Mega Mewtwo. Yeah. So, yeah. and Flygon is a weird choice because Flygon isn't like the everyday Pokemon that everyone knows. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this would be interesting. Uh, a metal Charizard evolution would probably look dope because Charizard yeah. looks armored dope. Mewtwo, dude. Yeah. Um, the cool thing too is this changes strategy in terms of your team because uh, this evolution of Charizard would more than likely be flying metal or fire metal, right? It gained the metal mm. uh, typing. Um, and the other thing is uh, the new Pokemon that was revealed in Pokemon Go, Meltan apparently has something to do with the armored evolutions and the legendary Pokemon. As somebody oh gosh, who's played all Pokemon Go originals. Well he he wasn't a Pokemon Go original, he's just a new Pokemon and people didn't know they assumed he was the the, the first ever Gen 8 Pokemon revealed. It's just that he was first revealed in Pokemon Go, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um and as somebody who's played all eight generations of Pokemon, my assumption is if this is true, I think in order to get a metal Charizard, you probably have to level him up to a certain level with Malton in your party. You know what I mean? And that's probably how it'll work. Oh. That's how some evolutions have worked in the past. It's an interesting yeah. gimmick. Uh, metal evolutions would be cool. Um, I hope that it's not some weird uh, Z-move type thing like we were talking about where it only takes place for the battle because though those are cool, I don't ever find myself using Mega Evolutions or Z-moves in battle. Um sure. But an, it sucks I, that it's for only one battle. It sucks. But an actual evolution changes it because then that means that you have a metal-type Pokemon on your team now, and that changes right. your strategy for battle, and it's permanent, so you can have a regular Charizard and a metal Charizard. Um, so, uh, one thing about talking about the legendaries, um, even if we had the, like, whatever, metal snake and wooden uh, horse, there's already been a precedent for there being multiple groups exactly. of legendaries in a Pokemon game like Second Gen has the big cats, Raikou, Suicune, Entei, but it also has 
Ho-Oh and Lugia. Um, so or Gen 3 has Groudon, uh, the other dude in Rayquaza. I Kyogre. always forget the other guy's name. Kyogre in Rayquaza, so yeah. yeah. Fucking fair weather Pokemon fan. Jesus, can you believe this amateur, Chris? <laughs> right. There's right. only like 10,000 of them, There's Jerry. Only Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, um, I, that'd be really cool, Yeah, I think though. that could still be a, a thing. So I'm, I'm, my hopes aren't dashed for the wolf uh, legendaries. And if they're going based off of Norse mythology, there is a track record for a pair of wolves, right? I forgot their name. Yeah, the Wolf Fenrir. of the Sun and the... Uh, well, there's Fenrir, and there, there's also Sif, and then there's... Uh, I can't remember the name of the other one. But there's a track record in Norse mythology for, like, legendary giant wolves. Um, yeah. And my assumption, like we talked about before when the games were initially released, is depending on the version, you have the defensive version of the wolf or the offensive version of the wolf, right? Um, Chris, I don't think we've ever talked about Pokemon. I'm assuming you're probably not interested in it. Um, is my assumption I pl- correct? I play, I play Pokemon Go, like, on my phone with okay. my kids. But, like, Pokemon's just not, like, my thing. Yeah, completely yeah, fine. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> um, <laughs> Is there anything that they could reveal for this game that would get you interested? Or the only way that you would be interested is the Breath of the Wild crazy evolution? Uh, Lightsaber Keyblades. Lightsaber Keyblades would be cool. (laughs) No. You know, I played Let's Go um, because I got it for my son. And, I mean, it was interesting. It was okay. Like, it just was, like, one of those things where the the Go is easy because I got my phone on me all the time. And if I'm bored and I'm walking anyway, I play. So, where, to me, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything they could do only because I just don't have the nostalgia for it. It's like, it's just not something that I, I'm, I, I played as a kid and I, I appreciate all those who are like super into it. Cause you guys have played Sun and Moon and all the, and, and I hear about all these things all the time from everybody. Yeah. And I'm like, I just don't have a single connection to this. Although the best part about it is, is I actually know who these characters are now from playing go because like when people were talking <laughs> about them before it was like, it was yeah. just baking gibberish. Greek. Yeah. yeah, it was really <laughs> gibberish. Now I, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. Oh, no, I know who Melton is. Yeah, like I know who. So that's helpful. Yeah, I completely understand that, too. It is a nostalgia play, and I'd be lying if I said the games weren't, like, too easy. Like, a lot of my gripes at the games are like, I wish they were more difficult. I wish there was at least difficulty settings because I understand they're universally made for kids. doesn't mean that's anything wrong with, like, older people being interested in them, but I do wish there was more of a – commitment to making sure they do appease the older fan base that they do have a lot of that do buy these games and kind of just make difficulty settings and yeah they can't they can't keep ignoring that demographic yeah and i mean so let's go chris is really cool that your kids playing it because i think let's go is great for introductory to people who just want to get into pokemon for me who's like somebody who's played them i looked at that and i was like oh they're doing the nostalgia play i'm interested and then they added all these very casual features to me, is like the stuff that I don't like about Pokemon. So for me, I was like, I'm not even touching that game. It's obviously not for me. I didn't go on Twitter and berate it, but you know. <laughs> it, yeah, but that's no. the thing is like, it is great for beginners, but Pokemon was already great for beginners. Yeah, there's sure. the argument there. Pokemon exactly. proper was <laughs> exactly. already baby's first RPG, and then you babied it up again. Well, it's like, oh. See, I feel bad because I think everybody's hopes for Pokemon and what, what they're going to do to make this like special and unique, I think may end up disappointing some of its major core fans because I don't think it's going to stray that far or try to go that far. I think that online for them and online play is a huge deal because before, I'm if I'm playing against you, it's because we're close or we're next to each other or we're near each other and then we're playing in Pokemon. I mean, if I was able to play from my house and play against you or play play against somebody else across the country, I think that that might be a little bit more interesting you, for... You have been able to do that. 
I, oh, I don't you have. You, oh, I'm yes, sorry. I don't want you to sound like you don't know what you're talking about. So I don't want to. I don't want to leave you out on a. You have been able to do that since uh, the beginning of the the 3ds. Oh, uh, really? Generation. Okay. Yeah. Um, not always great, <laughs> obviously, but you have been able to do it. Um, I think. Jared, are we gonna get difficulty settings or at least like some type of level scaling or something to appease the fact that like you can turn this into not so much of a baby game and play it in as, uh, as an adult? I think there's promise for that in the future. I really do. This game, no. This game, I think, honestly, its original structure was meant to be a 3DS game, and then they decided to move it over to Switch. Um, mm. Early in development, but I do think it initially started as a 3DS game. I think in order to get people even... like, I think people are going to buy this game regardless. It's the type of franchise that people complain about and buy it anyways. Um, yeah. The moment that they show that you have following Pokemon in this game... I think people will be completely fine with it because uh, that's a feature people wanted forever. It's a small feature. Came back in Let's Go. But that'll even be enough of a positive uh, jump in the meter that people will be like, okay, it's not the evolution I wanted yet, but we got follower Pokemon back, which essentially means, Chris, yeah. for you who hasn't played, the Pokemon, the first Pokemon in your party will actually show up on the overmap and walk behind you, and it's really cute and adorable. Okay. Um, Jared, will this game be released before November 1st, 2019? Uh, I don't want to say 100%. If you said November 31st, 100%. It just says sometimes they release like in late November. Um, okay. So November 31st, 100%. November 1st, no, because it might happen. Because, dude, I want, I want to be playing this game in the fall, not like... In, like I just I I think it'd be so much fun to like it, cozy up to this game as the weather's getting cool, but like so it'll Nintendo, be a winter game. That's fine. It'll be a Christmas game, you know. Nintendo's yeah. not going to try to bust this out before Black Friday. You don't think they're not going to uh, try to push well, for that? I mean, technically they don't control that. Remember, it's it's Pokemon Company and uh, and Game Freak. Um, but, but if I was a betting can, man, if you said if you said they do publish it, but they don't have like. There, it's an equal relationship, a 50-50 relationship. It's not like an EA, any of their game companies kind of stranglehold. Um, sure. We've seen that because Pokemon's so big, they have like a voice in the room. If you were like, hey, Jared, million dollars you have to bet on when do you think this game's coming out, I would say like the first week of October. Like October 7th, to me, sounds like a likely date. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was late November. Because I, I do think that Link's Awakening will be uh, the game that comes out right near Black Friday to try to get, uh, and, you know, Christmas to get those Switch sales. But um, So yeah. wh where do they plant Animal Crossing then? Man, so in a dream scenario, I would say plant it before any of the major holidays happen in the fall. So I would say September probably. Okay. Because then you get, you get the role of uh, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, right? Ugh. I want oh, that for Pokemon. Yeah. Pokemon should be the back-to-school game, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, for parents, no, because they want their kids to be focusing on getting back to school, but yeah. Um, we're running a little long, so this story I don't know if we're going to spend too much time on, but EA has announced that they're not doing a press conference this year. I know, whoa. They're not Sonying it, though. Uh, so instead, they'll be doing numerous live streams and hands-on demos for EA Play, which has actually moved back to uh, Saturday and Sunday. And... So it's more like Nintendo Treehouse events, and they're still doing E3, uh, not at the actual mm. convention floor, but you know they're still doing EA Play as we know it. And their specific quote is, "We're skipping the press conference this year and are replacing it with multiple live streams that will air during the first two days of the event, bringing you more of what you told us you want, more gameplay and insights from the teams making the game." Um, 
I think this isn't More a byproduct. More dev diaries. Before we, I, I want to definitely get your guys' opinion on it real quick. I don't think this is an indication that E3 is dying. Obviously, there's other factors from other places that you can say. I don't think this particular, this move by EA indicates that. I think this indicates that EA is tired of hearing that they're the worst conference every year. And I think that they have less of a chance to mess up if they just do live streams as opposed to a press conference. And I, it's easier for them to go under the radar. And the last thing is like their catalog this year is all sports games and then Jedi Fallen Order. The people who watch yeah. E3 don't watch it for the sports games. I enjoy Madden, but I don't watch uh, <laughs> E3 necessarily for the the Madden update. Um, mm. So I think there's a lot of factors in here. This isn't this doesn't read to me like e, uh, Sony's thing does, which I also don't think is e- E3 dying. I think Sony. We've already gone into that conversation. I just yeah. am worried that people are lumping these when they're two different <sighs> scenarios. What do you guys think about EA ditching a press conference for treehouse type events? So, not even about the whole EA thing, but just about the whole E3 thing. I think that, you know, it's hard to predict what direction it's going in. But all I'll say is this. You hear a lot from the industry side, whether it be the publishers and devs saying, you know, it's tough to build a vertical slice for E3. It's tough to put on a press conference from the publisher's perspective. It's tough to um, do a lot of the different things that you need to do to do E3 properly. Um, And then from the uh, media perspective, you hear a lot of people saying that it's become more difficult to get their job done because uh, now you're letting in more of the general population and that's crowding things and they're not able to get to um, they're behind the closed doors demos as much. But what I don't think people are realizing is that all that being said, or all the money that's being spent, people still don't realize that to the fan, to the hardcore, your average Joe hardcore gamer, like E3 is still gigantic to them on an emotional level. And when you look up gameplay videos for a big AAA game, look at which gameplay video is coming up first on YouTube. And nine times out of ten, if, you know, you know, three months ago you had searched for Anthem gameplay, it's probably going to be an E3 demo. Those are gigantic and not just for the week of E3. So I don't necessarily know that these publishers and devs... Uh, fully understand what they may be doing in uh, adding to the boot heels that are currently on the throat of E3 because it may be more beneficial for you than you realize. Now, it may be a pain in the fucking ass. That's what it sounds like. The thing about what E3 is going through right now is I'm hearing a lot of, man, it's just such a pain in the ass for us to do this, you guys. And it's just such a bit... It's like... Okay, but you're getting monetary value out of it. And it's not... You don't sell the games literally at the E3 booth. You're not purchasing video games at E3. But if you guys don't think that this isn't a giant commercial for you that is very, very important and very much plays into the purchasing decisions of uh, the hardcore gamer that is excited and watching E3 every year then I think you're sorely mistaken and so 
that's what I'm not hearing a lot of in the buzz about the changes that are going on with E3, and I think that that stuff's very important because to us, E3 is still such a big fucking deal, and the more people that just keep on kind of uh, shitting on it and dropping out of it, like, you're letting a lot more people down than you realize and you're also maybe hurting yourself more financially than you realize well and the thing too is so if nintendo found no value in it they would not do a direct during the the e3 week right they obviously don't do a live press conference but they still show up there ea doesn't do not doing a press conference this year but they weren't at the show floor they still make sure to be there that week i think without e3 the industry would be in a worse place um right yeah, to my point, I really think that E3 is important for the industry as a whole. I understand some people might feel as they're ab- above it or mm-hmm. it's not useful to them, but I do think a year in the gaming industry without an E3 is worse off for everyone because, I don't know, I, just, I, I think it brings a lot to the industry as a whole in terms of uh, optics on video games, new games, reveals. Yep. I have friends who yep. wouldn't know about most of the games that come out in a year if I didn't send them the link to the E3 press conference for Sony or, yep. uh, or Microsoft. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things, like, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Like, you're complaining about how much of a pain in, a- pain in the ass it is to put on every year, but in five years when you don't have it anymore because you helped destroy it, Sony or whoever it may be uh, I'm talking to now, it's like you're going to wish you had that place where you could just go and do a big showpiece and do a nice show. And, like, there might be something good to the fact that it's not just solely a PlayStation event in the middle of the summer or a Anthem event in the middle of the summer. Like, you might be glad that you're not the one and only shining star there because... If it goes bad, start to no- <laughs> you're the yeah, only Yeah, if it goes person. bad, like, people will start to notice your flaws and stuff. You might like that the spotlight shifts every now and then, and then you can just use your time to really knock it out of the park. I do think we see Sony at E3 next year, too. That's just my belief. I, I don't think there's a chance yeah. we don't see them there. And if we do, if they're not there again, I don't know, a conversation about it being possibly a mistake. Who knows? Chris, what do you think I, about this whole EA thing and E3? And I think there's a lot of things at play. Uh, a couple of things uh, to your point. I don't think E3's. I don't think E3 is dying. I think it's evolving. Uh, mm. I think a lot of these individual companies decided that they were going to branch out on their own, and so they they're getting responses in real time, and they're not accustomed to that, and yeah. so they're getting sh- they're getting shit on immediately for having these dev diaries. Well, the reason why they have dev diaries is because they don't have a lot to say. But they need to have yeah. their own piece because everybody has their own piece. And then Sony realizes, well, we, we can't have our press conferences because our press conferences used to have all of you smaller pieces like EA on <laughs> yeah. our stage. But you guys don't want to be on our stage. So now we really don't have anything to say. So nobody yeah. has a lot to say because th- individually there's not a lot for them to say. But together they could say a ton. So I think there everybody has to get back to the fact that perhaps we should be on stage with other people because it – it, to well, do it by ourselves, this is a mutu- cares. mutually beneficial yeah. thing for the industry. Yeah. To, your, to and, counterpoint to you, though, real quick, Microsoft has been able to fill a show with other pieces, and I think Sony's problem, in part, is because outside of their own first-party titles, they only cared about the other big publishers. In the last couple of years, we've only really seen all first Sony first parties and a couple of third-party games, usually Destiny and right. Call of Duty. And I think right. that's what hurt them specifically, and I do think you're correct, is like, well, we only have really Call of Duty and uh, Activision outside of our own games. Well, I guess those are both Activision, Destiny, and Call of Duty. Um, 
So yeah, they are running thin because they don't choose to show all of the indie games that Microsoft's decided to show off or all of these other games that are coming to console. And for me, I think it's a little bit of pretentious attitude with Sony and it kind of backfired on yeah. them. I understand where they were going because yeah. they wanted it to be all about our awesome first party exclusives. But when you start doing that year over year and those games are coming out, games take a long time to develop. And if they were to do an E3 this year, it'd pretty much be all the same games we saw last year minus Spider-Man, right? Sure. So sure. I, I agree. And the the thing for e- EA has a, has an advantage here too because there are people that are hardcore soccer fans and hardcore football players. And now yeah. if it, you're running it like a treehouse, I don't have to stop by and watch your press conference until ten oh five because that's when you're going to start showing Madden, and I can watch the ten minutes of Madden that I actually care about, and then I can be out and watch. Or you know, they could show more else. of Madden, right? They could sure. show an hour of Madden sure. for the people who care about sure. Madden instead of giving it five minutes in the press conference, and then mm. yeah, <clears throat> I, I agree. The problem the point. problem is Monday of E three now is a huge hole. No EA, no Sony. Who fills those slots? Yeah. yeah, I hope it's not Square Enix again because that conference was rough. Um, it's it's interesting because it could be THQ Nordic. They do have some titles like they have Bio Mutant and they have some other. I mean, they're coming off of the Eight Chan debacle, but uh, we have the kind of funny game showcase. That's not like a huge thing. It'd be interesting to see if maybe Microsoft moves to Monday and then Bethesda is, Saturday, uh, is Sunday, right? But we're really almost talking about this. It's like, we have to find games to talk about. It's like, no, there's fucking awesome, huge, even AAA games to talk about. It's just like, why don't the publishers want to talk about them? And it, I think it's because they're trying to be too selfish with the spotlight. And that's that's just going to backfire, man. Well, I mean, it, it's not, it's not going to go well. Well, Chris said, too, that a lot of them are scared of reception. It's like, well, if we show off this yeah. game and it doesn't hit the mark, then what's the reception on, like... On that, whereas the indie developers seem they're like, you gave me an opportunity to E three. That's a it's like a once in a lifetime thing, right? You know? So sure. right, exactly. Sure. Um, it's it's growing pains is what this is for E three. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I love your point there, Chris. It's not dying; it's evolving. And who's right. to say that that evolution doesn't it doesn't morph into something and then morph back into what it was too? You know what I mean? Kind of like mm-hmm. expands and comes back into what it originally was. But yeah, I, I do think the industry is better off with E three than not. Um, I could see the industry being in a poorer place if everyone had their individual events spread out across the year because, I, I don't, like I said, I just I have friends who the only way they ever know about games is through E3. It's the only thing they ever watch for like gaming related stuff, and to get them sure. to watch like a random oh Microsoft's doing, I have a hard enough time. My friends who are diehard Xbox guys having them watch the monthly things for Xbox where they talk specifically about all the stuff happening with Xbox. You know, but right. E3, they're it's, like, oh, there's always new reveals. So, all these publishers, devs, whatever, jumping ship on E3 to say, oh, well, we'll do not that Microsoft's jumping ship, but we're going to do Inside Xbox instead, or we're going to do EA Play instead, or we're going to do PSX instead. It's like those don't have the name recognition. And it's sure, PlayStation Experience is not something that's going to be tough for PlayStation fans to get on board with, but. The mainstream knows about E3. That's a big fucking deal, man. Yeah. And like you said, with your friends, that they don't necessarily want to watch an inside Xbox gameplay demo, but if it's the big E3 demo, they know that that's something special. And you don't necessarily want to just immediately run away from this uh, situation just because it starts to not be as awesome as it was, you know, formerly. So I think you might be jumping ship a little too fast on something that in all honesty still has a lot of cachet with a lot of gamers and is still very important. 
Yeah. This is a common theme with all of these individual stations wanting to have their own channel, like Disney and HBO and AMC yeah, and streaming like service. they're all they're all streaming services. It's the same exact thing. Everybody wants a piece of the pie, and that piece of the pie they want to be able to take for themselves and not have to share it with anybody. Yeah. The thing is yeah. with Disney though is they have so much that they can put into their into their slice of the pie that somebody out like CBS All Access competing with Disney. How is that even possible when you look at like right. what they have in their catalog? Um, it, it's it's tough. Yeah, there's no CBS vault that everybody's trying to get it, well, in. It, it cracks me. Well, it cracks me up when they talked about the vault. I, I tweeted that I was like, you know, it's easy when to open up the vault when you have a Brinks truck that's backing up into it. You know what I yeah. mean? They have they have so yeah. much money coming in. They could charge fifteen bucks. People won't even blink. Like the thing is, I only have Netflix right now, and I'll probably end up getting Disney for the Marvel the Marvel shows because I'm a sucker. Oh sure, yeah. Sure. Um, speak- I don't know, man. <laughs> Those Marvel shows like. <laughs> Oh, I'm so excited for him. Scarlet Witch and Loki, like, they're cool characters, but, like, there are characters in the MCU that I want to have their own shit, and, like, this is not... Yeah, but they'd rather have those people for... Yeah. Um, Well, no, that's what I'm saying. There's people that still aren't getting the spotlight in the movies that I would like to see. Like, dude... This would be a perfect Black Widow. Fucking Hawkeye, like, give Clint Barton the the fucking props that he deserves, man. The fact... Okay, the fact that they left him out of the first... uh, infinity war movie and then it's like no he'll be in the second one but then they're like and we're gonna announce some solo series and not one of them is hawkeye it's like dude hawkeye needs some props for real yeah but think about how expensive jeremy renner would be too I'm not saying that's an easy excuse no i know but... you could do a kate bishop hawkeye or something also there are I'm gonna be like six like... episodes but yeah i don't i don't want to get on too far of a tangent because we have one more news story yeah, or any kind definitely of long, tangent, but... definitely tangent. uh the last thing i want to talk about the topic of the show is um these rumors of the Xbox One S all digital. So we've heard rumors about Scarlet and Anaconda, which are the <clears> next-gen <throat> platforms. Scarlet being the streaming console and Anaconda being the big boy. Um, and Maverick mm. was the one that was supposed to launch this year, and it's the um, all-digital streaming, uh, or no disk drive, uh, Xbox One S. And we were wondering, well, if they're going to be, you know, we got these rumors of them talking about these next-gen uh, consoles at E3, when are they going to announce this console? Because it wouldn't make sense for them to talk about the new generation and then at the end tack on, hey, there's a, a discless Xbox One S you can buy. So according to sources, the hardware codenamed Xbox Maverick will be named Xbox One S All Digital and is rumored uh, to be the Xbox One S without a disk drive. Pre-orders will apparently begin in April, which is a month from now, and the product will be seeing a universal release across all regions in May. Uh, along with this, there are rumors of a Fortnite-themed Xbox on the way as well. Um, so not just a bundle, but an actual like designed Xbox One S yeah. themed around yeah. Fortnite. Uh, with rumors of Microsoft unveiling their next-gen lineup at E3, uh, getting this new model out the door before the reveal is the best move, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, honestly I so. am starting to think like, why do you even need this? I feel like you're still bunching too much together. Oh. Even though they're kind of separating it. It's like, I just, I get why you might want this or why you might think this is a valid product, but I just feel like the Xbox One S is plenty sufficient to, like, carry you through this generation. Well, and the funniest, most ironic thing is the Xbox One S is the only one with a Blu-ray player. You can't, there's no Blu-ray player in the PS4, so it's like, if you wanted to play Blu-rays and have a gaming console. Um, I just think they want to get a lower price skew out there to kind of swan song the xbox one s um because obviously they, they're going to reveal these next gen consoles at e3 but they're not coming out till next year 
And I think it's just to have another SKU on the market, a cheaper SKU for people. The rumor is like anywhere between 150 and 200. Um, the big thing is that that we don't know is if this comes with like a year of Game Pass included or something, that would be huge because you're coming in at a lo- low price yeah. point and getting people into Game Pass. So, yeah, this is a nice way of weaning people off of discs. It's also a really nice way for them to have proof of concept that it works so yeah. that when people yeah. when, when they do ask people for more money and say, hey, listen, you want the big the big boy that's coming out next year. It's going to cost 100 more bucks, but look, it works because we have the cheaper version that works. So imagine what bigger hardware is going to do. Also, who's to say that this isn't even offered at retail? That's good discussion there because, like, would retail partners want to have a console that doesn't have a disk drive? You know? Mm, If there's a box, they might. Like, I mean, if you're selling a Roku or selling, like, an Apple TV, this is that, and that basically that's what this is. Yeah. And maybe they'll Roku at, like, Walmart? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. so I'm sure they're willing to do that. Uh, the hard part is is you're they're just losing the games. Which I mean, if you walk into a local Walmart right now, they only carry about 15, 20 of them anyway. So yeah, and I mean, it's like oh, five I mean, copies that, of Madden, five copies of FIFA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all di- it's it's all dying anyway. So I mean, I I like this idea. I think it's funny that this was something that they originally tried to come out with, and people just bashed them for it. And I think at this point now, they just don't care about internet speed. They're, this is the the route they're taking, and they're just going to continue with this. Yeah, and I think as they start sunsetting the Xbox One, the original VCR and stuff, I think sure. having the normal Xbox One S, which I think is like Jordan, to Jordan's point, is a very solid console. It doesn't need any reiterating. It has a Blu-ray player. It's awesome. And mm-hmm. this discless, I think, will sit well because when people walk into the store, it's my assumption, do you think that the Fortnite-themed one will be one of these like discless ones? Because it makes sense. If you're buying your kid this console for Fortnite, they don't really need a disc drive, you know? True. And yeah. I wonder what the size is going to be on this thing. Like, I mean, how big does it have to be? Well, I mean, it's crazy. The Xbox like One S is already TV tiny. Box. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're also catering to people that travel a ton. You want to bring your Xbox with you now, you can just bring it instead of bringing just your Switch. Man, That's my dr- my dream in this, I don't think this would happen, but my dream would be the console is the same size because the Xbox One S isn't even that big. It's actually the smallest console. That they t- yeah. where the disk drive is on the side. There's actually a, a place to add external storage and put it inside, so it's not dangling outside of the Xbox. That would be pretty mm-hmm. dope. That's not going to happen, but that would be pretty cool. Yeah, you're also needing to get out in front of Google too. Yeah, so I don't, I don't even fa- know if the Google thing is close though. I think they're going to talk about a GDC, but do you think that comes out this year? No, but if you can get your product out faster than they do, so the concept in people's mindshare says that you're the people who deal with that and Google's basically copying you, is is a huge deal. So if you can get yeah. out that machine fast enough, that's a, that you have mindshare. But then the whole discussion, too, is, is Google seeing even a console or is it like a stick? You know? Uh, sure. Yeah, there's a whole discussion there. Um, Dangle. I'm glad, though. I, I do think seeing all of the pieces on the table, this for sure has to release before E3, like we talked oh, yeah. about, uh, and be announced before E3. I don't even know if this this will be announced at, like, an event. I think it might just be at an inside Xbox, you know? Because then marketing could just take over for it. It doesn't need to be a huge announcement. Rumors are pre-orders are going to be up here soon, and it's going to be out by the middle of April, right? Yeah, and they do an inside Xbox every month, so they could do yeah. they could do an inside Xbox in April, right, and say pre-orders are sure. immediately available and then mm-hmm. let it run. And the funny thing with E3, Jordan, is obviously inside Xbox doesn't have the cachet of an E3, right? We all know that. Mm. But as somebody who owns an Xbox, it's really cool to have a monthly event 
where I can hear about all of the games that are coming out that month, the new Game Pass titles, and that's cool for somebody like me. I do see that they could possibly just announce this at one of those. Because the other option is what, GDC? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, this takes headlines they, with This it. is yeah. the type of stuff you don't need an E3 event for. This no. is the type of stuff that you yeah. do at an inside Xbox monthly yeah. deal. This makes me happy that it's not going to be at E3. You know what I mean? That this is yeah. something they're trying to get out of the way beforehand. Um, would you would you guys be interested in, uh, say, Next Gen comes and PlayStation decides to do a discless PlayStation as a SKU? Would that interest you at all? or 100%. I don't use discs now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jared. I've been uh, discless for probably about five years on all of my uh, electronics. So Same. It's something that I've been... I've, you know, stopped using discs and, you know, started upgrading my hard drives instead uh, over the years and I've gotten myself to a point where I have, like, bigger hard drives in my systems that I've installed. And so I think that that's the way to go. The one thing is, um, and it's kind of like a constant buzzing in the back of my mind, unfortunately, of, like, worrying your PS4 about fan? licenses. Sorry, bad sure. joke. <laughs> no, the the PS4 Pro actually is ridiculously uh, loud when it comes to the fan. I will agree with that. But uh, nonetheless, it sucks to have to worry about possible digital licensing issues that could prevent you the, from playing a game that you bought. The cool thing I will say with digital is that um, I'm sure you guys have the same type of friends. I have friends who could care less about indie games. They don't even think they're real games, which like breaks my heart uh. because some of the best games I've ever played are indie games. And with this this generation of consoles, I've seen more of my friends open to the idea of buying indie games because they stopped associating polished AAA games with the retail copies. So indie games that are only digital aren't real games. To now that they buy their games digital, they're like, oh, this is just another video game. You know what I mean? Psychologically, I think that did a lot to people like that. that Democratization. Exactly. And they don't see like, oh, this is a digital game, so it's not a real game. Um, Right. That is very, very, very important and essential to, you know, where we're going uh, with the gaming industry. But, you know, it's pros and cons with any situation. Well, so. The cool thing, too, is, I mean, if you have discless SKUs or disk driveless SKUs and they're cheaper, that means that somebody like me who I own all three major consoles, it'll make it easier for that to be a reality for me on the next gen because I can buy the one with a Blu-ray driver, a 4K Blu-ray driver, whatever I want. And that'll be my main console, and I don't have to save as much or worry about as much of a secondary console purchase because it'll be cheaper than the regular one. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I think we all have the fortune of living in areas with good internet, so that's a a positive, too, in terms of being all digital. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that wraps it up for this episode, 136. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. I appreciate Um, it. Appreciate in, the invite. In terms of what we're going to be playing, I'm not hopping on the DMC train. Not that the game doesn't look incredible. I actually may pick it up later in the year, but I'm just waiting on Sekiro, man. I need to finish Kingdom Hearts, and I'm Sekiro. salivating. Um, yeah, I don't think there's... I, any- Jared, I need Sekiro to be good. That I, game is... I need oh. it to be good so yes. bad. Like, I can't be disappointed by Samurai Bloodborne. I just can't handle that right now after after what I've been going through with these other games. Yeah, I mean, so I I, I didn't I kind of steered clear of a lot of the impressions videos cuz those came out this week. But mm-hmm, the one same. I did listen to, the one I do cuz I trust their opinion is the Easy Allies. 
because a lot of those guys are like diehard from software guys. And there's yeah. a lot in this game that is different than what Miyazaki's done in the past. Um, this isn't a spoiler because it has nothing to do with the story or anything. There's no stamina bar in this game. So right. right there, it's completely different than what we've seen in the past. And it is taking some risks. The thing I will say is that because Activision is publishing it, there's actually a lot of like user-friendly tutorials that have kind of been a hit or miss with people when it comes ah. to the front games. And that makes sense that Activision was like, yeah, you can't just like drop people into this shit. You're gonna have to like tell people how to play your fucking game, dude. Sure. And the one thing I will say, I'm not gonna say what this character is or because that I think that's a cool thing to find out. There is a character they specifically designed in the hub area to let you try out new skills with them. A practice area. Nice. They can still kill you, but it's it's a, an enemy that's always there throughout the entire game that you can practice and hone your skills on. And there's actually a yeah. narrative reason to that. Um, yeah, I'm excited for I Sekiro, love man. a good training oh. room. Yeah, it's... love a good training room in a game where I can just not have to worry about, you know, try a new weapon, new move, new whatever out without having to worry about wasting ammo or crap like that. Yeah, so outside of trying to finish Kingdom Hearts 3, uh, playing more Apex, I, the Battle Pass is rumored to be coming out in the next week or so. There's also a rumor that there's going to be a nighttime map which we haven't seen in a Battle Royale game. I mean, there's, like, nighttime in Fortnite, kind of, but, you know, it's, I think it's different in terms of, like, the PUBG more realistic type. Uh, realistic with Apex Legends. You, you know what I mean by that. Um, outside of that, I want to start uh, watching Umbrella Academy. I want to get to that. Yeah. And there's a new comic series, a limited run, called Ronin Island, Jordan, that looks uh. really interesting. It's a five-issue series. It's being published by uh, Boom Studios, who did Ruin World, that other comic I told you about uh, a while yeah. back. And this one, it, it's giving me Last Avatar vibes. Um, the anime, not the Last not Airbender. the movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, I haven't read it yet. I just downloaded the number one, so I'm going to check that out. Oh, okay. Um, that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, just Umbrella Academy, Kingdom Hearts 3, hopefully, if I can get through that. Chris, what are you going to be playing? Uh, DMC 5. Like, that's kind of the, the goal. I'm just going to try to get through that over the next week and a half or so. Sekiro coming out, I'm like, that's Sekiro's my focus, man. Like, I've been on that <laughs> game since since I saw the preview, so, like, I'm just jazzed. I'm not not a big Souls fan. I enjoyed Bloodborne, um, and so if this is the Samurai Bloodborne, I'm all in. Yeah, and I think if you didn't enjoy Souls, that might be a plus with the way this game's shaping up in terms of the different mechanics and the gameplay yeah. style because it is different from a yeah. Souls game, so. Yeah. Hmm. I like the fact that the parry is a is a big deal in this game. That's what oh, I, yeah. I uh, so so that's that's got me excited and the verticality. This is like the game that I marked on uh, on the calendar during the year. Like this can easily be a straight up goatee contender. I hope they yep. hope they nail it. Um, are you watching or reading anything? Uh, I'm trying to avoid. Uh, I I watched a, a video, um, but other than that, I'm trying to just stay away. It's the same thing with Days Gone because I'm excited, super excited about Days Gone too, and I'm just trying to avoid as much as I can. It's like I know I want it, and I feel like I. No, he means get... are you watching or reading like movies or books? Oh, movies, books. So I'm Not sorry. I thought, you, uh, I thought you meant preview coverage. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I'm no, reading. So I like oh, the yeah. oh yeah. Am I reading? Yes, I'm reading uh, Blake J. Harris's new book uh, about Facebook and Oculus. Ooh, um, cool! So mm. I'm super excited. It's about it's it's huge. It's massive. It's over 600 pages. But um, it's called the. Did, the is people. that he was talking with Colin Moriarty on that on um, his podcast about that? 
Yep. Recently. Yeah. The hi- yeah. Cool. The history. Of, hi- history of the future. So it's pretty interesting. Um, it's more interesting because it it delves a lot into what Oculus was doing prior to being invested by Facebook, which I thought was really yeah. cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, and as far as film, nothing. Nothing. nothing not, not, not. Yeah. Nothing right now. Jordan, what are you gonna be playing? <clears throat> nothing. So, yeah, we'll see, man. I'm not gonna push it. Um, there is uh, obviously Sekiro coming out at the end of the month. So there will be something to play before too long, but um, yeah. Um, I don't think I actually said anything about Captain Marvel. I did uh, see that as well and really enjoyed it. Um, thought that uh, set up well for Avengers, and um, I really enjoyed... The parts of it that I really enjoyed were the sci-fi action parts. Um, the space battle at the end, I think, is really, really fun. And um, shout out to Lee Pace. In, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, saw it in Dolby Cinema, so it was uh, literally ground shaking audio. And for those space battles, was really fucking dope. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll finish up this Neverland documentary. Um, something else that I was thinking about uh, as we talked about it was the fact that like I don't. It's not that I want to get it over with, but. There's certain things, you know, I've stopped needing to finish so many video games uh, just because of the nature of the format of the medium. Um, but, like, with this, like, like we're going to get off here. I want to go finish that and be like, okay, I jumped into it. I got far enough into it that I felt like I needed to finish it, and I finished it, and now I don't have to, like, listen to, like, some of this fucking shit anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but I do feel, like, compelled to finish it. I don't know. I'm just kind of, like getting into my psyche here I guess but uh, I'll be watching that uh, here in a few minutes and um, I think I gave a shout out to Mad Men recently that I've been watching and I just want to say man I started the fifth season recently and they have a double episode for the fifth season that is fifth season premiere that is an hour and a half long and it's a movie it's just it really is like Mad Men the movie and I started it at like four in the morning and had had a long night and had been, you know, out doing stuff. And by all uh, means, I intended to, you know, watch for a little while and then finish it later since it was such a long episode. But I was so enthralled that I finished the entire thing. And it was so fucking fantastic. A great, I mean, like I said, it really felt like a movie. Felt like a great movie, but also felt like a great Mad Men episode. Had great pacing. And that show is really cool. Um, so I just wanted to give them a little shout out for that because that, that had to be such a difficult task to take on and really does end up coming together like an awesome feature film. So well done to them. Um, so yeah, just a couple shout outs, I guess. That's a series I need to get to. It's on the, it's on the list. Um, yeah, Chris, where can people find you if they're interested in seeing what you have to say about video games and everything else? Uh, I, I'm on Twitter constantly at Topher Noons, T-O-P-H-E-R-N-U-N-E-S. Uh, and before we go, what's your opinion on the Olivier Vernon trade? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to reclude from that conversation. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you my opinion, Jared. That's okay. you know going to be a really tough situation moving forward in the future. You know, our guys, they... They work really hard, and they try to get it done in the locker room and on the field, but I'll tell you what, it's not always easy in uh, our line of work, so i got to give them props. <laughs> I want to give a shout-out to the Steelers for trying to crap on Antonio Brown and send him to Buffalo. 
Yeah, I have a friend who's a <laughs> Buffalo fan, and he was livid that it was about to happen. Anyways, that's your football talk for this week. Uh, if you can, please follow us on Twitter at CTRLINT. That's Controlled Interest Abbreviated. You can go to YouTube, look us up there as well. Like, subscribe, do all of that stuff. Uh, hit the notification bell so you're notified whenever we have a new upload. Smash it. Um, iTunes, if you leave a review and you're following us there, it definitely helps. The algorithm in, you know moves us up the charts so more people see us. Uh, and we're on Google Play, too. We're on all the podcast services. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. I'm at Jared underscore on Twitter. Jordan is at Melomotus. Dom, who's on here, is at Dom's Oreos. Chris, as he said, is Topher Noons. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye.